0: I grew up in the church. I know that oftentimes we hear that and and we think, oh, you had a Christian family or you went to church a lot. But I, I mean it pretty literally. My dad was on our church board, my mom was in the choir, and my siblings and I were a part of just about everything that we could be signed up for. And so we pretty literally grew up in the church. We played hide and seek in the corridors. We were at every kid's event, student event, all of those things that we could do. We were there. But what I realized when it came to like my middle school, junior high years is that I wasn't very well connected to the people of my church. I was all connected to the programs. I knew what was going on, all of those things. But we lived pretty far away from the church that we were a part of. And so I realized, man, nobody goes to my school. Nobody lives in my neighborhood. We also had kind of a rotating uh, list of, of student pastors, youth pastors in my junior high years. And so uh, we always had different volunteers, different teams, and even a different pastor in charge of our, of our youth group. And so there, it wasn't uncommon for me to show up to youth group and get a visitor's card and be asked, how did you find us this week? And be confused as to how to even answer because I'd been around for a very long time. And so kind of out of that uh, frustration and and that confusion of, of not being known, not being recognized, to kind of feeling like, man, this is my church home, but the people here don't seem to know me, I got invited by my best friend to visit a small community church just down the road from my house. And after I visited for the following weeks, months, I got texts from from the student volunteers there. I got phone calls from the youth pastor. I even got a birthday card in the mail signed from all of them saying, man, we're so excited that we get to know you. And for the first time in a long time, I felt known. I felt like as an individual, my presence mattered in this group of people. And so it changed everything. I started walking down the street every week on my own just to get to this community of people that really cared about who who I was. And it was in that community of people, it was in that church family that I really chose to follow Jesus. It was in that community that I got baptized. It was in that community that I was invited into ministry, that I saw the excitement of serving God. And I haven't stopped ever since. Well, my name is David, and I'm the pastor of groups here at Abundant Life Church, and and one of the things I love about what I get to do here, about my job here, is that I get to invite people into that community of the church that I have so deeply fallen in love with, that I get to help create spaces where people can be known as more than just a face, as more than just a name, where we can get to know each other's strengths and passions and ideas and what God is doing in each other's lives. That is so exciting to me. And so it's such an honor to be here, to be a part of this church family, and I'm so glad that you're joining us today. We have been in this teaching series called Kingdom Culture for a couple of weeks where we've been looking at the church, the family of God. What does it look like? What is it about? What is it meant to be. And as we've been doing that, we've been treating Acts 2 as kind of a home base as as we walk through uh, what the early church was doing. This group of people that was so excited about Jesus, what did they actually do? And I recognize some of you at this point may be asking, are we really going to read Acts 2 every week? And let me settle your worries for you. Yes, we're absolutely going to read it every week. Let's read it together right now. Acts 2, Verses 42 through 47, all of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, you may have noticed, as we've walked through this series, that we've talked about the Apostles teaching. We've talked about prayer, but we skipped over something I think is is pretty important, Fellowship and food. Let's look again. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. It may be news to you, but the church potluck is not a recent invention. We've been doing it for a very long time. And we'll see that community was a core part of following Jesus, a core value of the early church and that we cannot truly choose to follow Jesus without community, without one another. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to join me in 1 John chapter two. And if you're taking notes, the title of this message is Where's the Love? Where's the Love? Now, I already shared with you that I have a deep love for the community of Christ, for the family of the church. When I came to know Jesus, the greatest blessing that he had in store for me was a community of people that loved me, that knew me, and that cared about my journey with Jesus. And it's for this reason that I've always resonated with the book of 1 John. This book includes a lot of theology, a lot of instructions for the church, but it also has so much familial friendship language throughout it. If you, if you read through the book in one sitting, which is pretty easy to do, it's a pretty short book, you'll see words over and over again, like dear friends, brothers and sisters, little children, all of these kind of cues that, that let us know that John placed a high value in the community of the church. And I'm so eager to read what John has to say about what it means for the church to live life together, to love one another. So let's look at 1 John chapter two. We're gonna start in verse seven. It says, "'Dear friends, "'I'm not writing a new commandment to you. "'Rather, it's an old one you have heard "'from the very beginning. "'This old commandment to love one another "'is the same message you heard before, "'yet it is also new.'" Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. Now let's stop here because it's a little bit confusing. How can a commandment be old and yet also new? That seems like a strange dichotomy that we're that we're balancing here. But the idea, the commandment that John is referring to is love one another. And this idea isn't new. We see it in the, in the Old Testament. We see it as, as, as the Jewish people were, were seeking to follow God, that it was all throughout the law to care for and love one another. When Jesus was asked about the, the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment that already existed from the Old Testament, he said, Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. These were both from the law. Love your neighbor as yourself is in Leviticus. It's it's been around for a long time. And technically, it had always been a part of the law, and there were these specific prescribed ways to show that love, to express love according to the law. But what changed? Why is it suddenly new? I'd say that Jesus changed everything, and this is really what we uh, we saw John was saying as well. Let's look at John The Gospel of John, chapter 15, to look a little bit deeper. It says this in in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, my command is this: love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. This is Jesus talking. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants, because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I called I have called you friends. in this section, in these words, broke down the hierarchical norms of his day, displayed actual love to his disciples and throughout his time on earth. Look at this. He called his disciples friends. His disciples who who really are apprentices. We might today call them interns, right? Just learning what this is. And and for him, they're unpaid interns, But he called them friends. He broke down this barrier that was between them. I'm here, you're here. No, we are friends. And then goes even further to to redefine what love and friendship are, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then he lived that out by dying so that his disciples could experience life, so that you and I could experience life. See before, love was defined by a bunch of do's and don'ts. Have you done these things? Then yes, you've loved. And Jesus's message is okay. Let's clear the decks. Just love God and love one another. And I'm going to show you how. You're not in this alone. Let's continue in First John, verse nine. Uh, 1 John two, verse nine. If anyone claims I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. Do you recognize the significance of what John has written here? You see, in the New Testament, the, tr- the source of light Throughout the the gospel, throughout the apostles' writing, the source of light is Jesus. So to, to walk in the light means that you've encountered Jesus. It means that he is lighting your way, that you are following him. But to walk in darkness, that means either you haven't encountered Jesus or somehow you have stopped following him. You've gone your own way. You're now lost and stumbling around. In the darkness. You've lost your source of light. So John is going as far as to say, if you are not loving your fellow believer, if you're not loving other Christians, you're in the dark. You're not following Jesus anymore. I encourage you, take an inventory of the way that you treat and talk to other people. Are the words that you use dehumanizing? Are the, the words that you use belittling? Think about the memes and the the social media posts that you share. Are they rude? Are they insulting? Are you finding yourself enjoying memes that are rude and insulting? How often and over what are you willing to question the salvation of your brother or sister in Christ or even just break off relationship altogether? Consider these things and know that these are signs, these are indicators of your own spiritual health. Because the second we choose to stop loving other people, we choose to stop following Jesus. And I, and I promise you there is no issue, there is no stance, there's no opinion, there's no candidate that is worth walking away from Jesus. This, this may seem harsh to talk about, but it's the language that John is using, and he's driving home the point that loving one another is not this bonus of following Jesus. It's not an elective. It's not just a nice idea. It is central to the gospel. Let's finish up in verse 12. I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. "'I am writing you who are mature in the faith "'because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. "'I am writing to you who are young in the faith "'because you have won your battle with the evil one. "'I have written to you who are God's children "'because you know the Father. "'I have written to you who are mature in the faith "'because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. "'I have written to you who are young in the faith "'because you are strong.'" God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. See, we see John's concern here is is so deep because it's an in-house message. He's writing to the church. He's writing to those who already know Jesus. And he's recognizing some are still in the light because they're loving one another, but some have drifted into darkness because they've let hate consume them. But this letter is addressed to those who are mature in the faith and those who are young in the faith. We see that both are valuable in the community. Both have, have had their sins forgiven. They've won their battle with the evil one. And both are children of God. And guess what? That means they're family. And as I shared before, that means so much to me and it meant so much to John. But family is both beautiful and messy. I think you know this, and I know this, that there are real high points and low points. I get a picture of this almost every day. I have a, a son named Colson, who's five years old, and a daughter named Iris, who is two. And Iris loves to play by herself. Absolutely loves it. She's known for, for grabbing a toy, going to some distant corner of our home, and, and loving having some alone time. But that just doesn't compute with Coulson. He loves being around people. He loves talking to people. And so as you can probably uh, tell, this is gonna cause a lot of, of conflict and misunderstanding. And it does almost on a daily basis of getting in each other's space and then running away and not understanding why they need to, to run away and get their own space. And this is kind of a simple uh, picture of this, but, but we all know that differences make families messy. Differences in personality, differences in in the way we process things and the way we understand things. Uh, We don't understand each other. and, and, And many of you have similar stories, either with your own kids or maybe with your siblings, your own family. And maybe for some of you, this has led to a separation or breaking of relationship because those differences just could not be overcome. And somehow we handle differences with strangers. We handle them with coworkers. We handle them with teammates or, 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 or just, just people in our lives. But when it comes to family, when it comes to close relationships, it's so much more difficult. Why is that? Why is there this innate sense that the people I'm closest to need to agree with me? We need to do things the same way. Maybe it's, it's because we care so much about them. We care so much about their well-being that we want them to to think or do things the right way, which is, of course, our way. It just so happens. And I think the same is true in the church family. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor wrote that the problem is many of the people in need of saving are in churches, and at least part of what they need saving from is the idea that God sees the world the same way they do. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Aaron shared a prayer that Jesus prayed for you and for me, for all the people that would, that would believe on the, on the apostles' teaching. And his prayer was this, that they would be one, that you and I would be one. Jesus desired unity in the family of God, unity in the church. And as we pursue this unity together, it's so easy to fall into the trap that, that we need to agree with each other on everything. And that is what unity means. But what if unity is so much more than just agreement? Of course, there are essential beliefs that the church has held through, through all times and throughout the world. Those are things that we agree on as as being a core of our faith in Jesus. But when it comes to everything else, when it comes to the way that we vote, the way that we raise our family, the, the issues in our community and around the world that we view as most important, there's all sorts of room for differences, for discussion, for growth, or areas that we can disagree from one another, but, but also learn from one another. And as we look through Jesus' words, as we look through the letters of the apostles, there's never this grand command or challenge for us to agree with each other on all things. What is our command? To love one another. And so the foundation of, of unity is not agreement, it's love. It's love. And in order to be unified, we we have to learn to love through our differences. Now, notice I I didn't say in spite of our differences. Sometimes we hear that. I've heard that a number of times in marriage conferences, that that we need to love in spite of our differences. But for me, that's always been a bit oxymoronic. You know why? Because spite is a synonym for hate. Hate. It's true. I, I checked the thesaurus. You're, you're welcome to check your thesaurus at home. But, but they have a similar definition, spite and hate. And so when we say, I love you in spite of, we might as well be, be saying, I really love you, but I hate this part of you. And so in that way, we, we put our own conditions on this love rather than basing our love on Christ alone that because Christ loves the world, we love the world. See, Jesus doesn't put many of these conditions on our love that we tend to do. I love you, but I love you, except I love you in spite of. No, love one another. Instead of loving in spite of, we need to learn to to love through. We are called to love through our differences. To recognize that, that most differences that we run into are really, truly a matter of opinion and not a sin issue. These aren't things we need to be going after each other on. There are things that we can truly differ on and stay in relationship. Consider what someone of a different perspective may continue, contribute to the family of Christ. What they might bring to the table, what you might learn from them. And rather than allowing your differences to drive you apart from people, Allow it to be a force to draw you near to one another. Say, man, I don't understand that. I don't agree with it. Can I hear more? Rather than, whoa, whoa, whoa I don't agree with that. I don't know if I, we can be friends anymore. See, that, that is coming from an, an approach of fear. Christ is calling us to have an approach of love. Of oh, Man, I love you. I care about you. I think you are a valuable, intelligent person. And because we disagree, I want to hear more. About what you have to say, whether or not I agree with you. But what does this kind of love, loving through our differences, look like in the family of God, in the church? I think we have to learn to invest and invite. You see, everyone that is a part of this church family is on a spiritual journey. Whether or not you've, you've chosen to, to follow Jesus, whether or not you've made that decision, you've asked questions about your purpose, about the, the world around you, about your life and what it really means. And we can choose to pursue that journey alone, but man, it's not what Jesus has in store for us. Jesus prayed that we would be unified. How can we be unified alone? He prayed, that, he, he commanded that we would love one another. How can we love one another alone? And Jesus himself walked his spiritual journey with his disciples, with his friends, with a community of people. I've spoken to so many people that that actually have strategies to avoid people in church gatherings. And they're really creative and they're really effective. It usually goes something like, man, if if I get there right after the first song and I leave right before that final prayer, I can get in and out and not talk to anyone. It's amazing. And man, I get it, people are a lot. And family, family can be so messy that sometimes we're just like, man, I, I wanna do Jesus, but I don't wanna do this whole one another thing. I get it. But Jesus has saved us into community, not isolation. And the abundant life that he has in store for us, that he has promised us, includes healthy relationships. It includes community. Because first, to love one another in true, authentic community, we have to invest in one another's spiritual journey. The Apostle Paul was was recalling a visit to the church of, of Thessalonica, and we can see this in, in the book of Corinthians, 1 uh, Corinthians, or <laughs> First Thessalonians, uh, if I can keep on track here. But he wrote uh, these beautiful words to the church of Thessalonica. Uh, it says this in, in chapter 2, verse 8. So, being affectionately desirous of you we were ready to share with you, get this, not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. As you follow Jesus, in what ways are you giving your own self to others? How are you investing not only in your own spiritual journey, but in the journeys of others? What does that look like for you? As a staff, lately, we've been talking about the joys of ministry. Of course, there are ups and downs, but but there are so many joyful moments when when someone gets baptized. It's such a wonderful moment when when someone finds a group that they really belong to and and really resonate with. It's amazing when we see the breaking of addiction or, or the healing of trauma or the healing of a broken relationship. It's so wonderful to be a part of what God is doing, to see someone serve for the first time or go on a mission trip for the first time. Oh, it's, it's, it's fantastic to be around. It's incredible to be a part of what God does in the life of others. And this isn't just exclusive to staff. I talk to life group leaders and, and student volunteers and kids volunteers and parents and just friends who have chosen to be a part of the spiritual journey of another person and walked away with their own lives changed. It's an incredible thing to be a part of. And it's the joy of being a part of the family of God that we get to follow Jesus together, to spur each other on, to celebrate with one another. And then second, to live, uh, to love one another in true authentic community, we have to invite others into our own spiritual journey. Now, this is the hard one. It can be easy to invest in other people, right? Because it's, it's so fun and enjoyable and there's these great, uh, uh, joyous pieces that we can share with one another, but to invite someone into yours? Man, that can be vulnerable. That can be intimidating. However, a, a community of people that's just investing in other people without inviting, that's not healthy. It, it communicates that I've got it all figured out. I've got everything to give, but don't touch my life. Don't be, a, don't be a part of what God's doing here because I, 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 I kind of own that. And, and it might get messy if I invite you in. But I don't know about you, there's a lot that I still need to figure out. And I think it's gonna be that way for, for quite a long time. I think this relationship has to be reciprocal. Where we are investing in the lives of others, but also inviting others into ours to have that constant reciprocal relationship where God's working in my life, God's working in your life, and we are working in one another's lives. And it may not be someone who's older or wiser than you. It may not be someone who agrees with you on most things or anything other than Jesus, but it might just be someone who loves you and loves Jesus and is committed to walking this journey with you. Brene Brown wrote that we cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known, and when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, man, I don't even know where to start. I don't know anyone in our church, and man, COVID sure didn't help. Uh, it's not the easiest time to get to know other people in our, in our church family. And you might be sitting there thinking, man, I've got lots of friends, but none of them are following Jesus. I don't really know where to go from here. And man, I've been there. That is, that is a tough place to be. But it's also exactly why we believe life groups. Are are such an incredible piece of our spiritual journey. As we talk about them all the time, because authentic and loving community doesn't happen on accident. I think we would like it to to just spring up organically. That all of a sudden I have this group that loves Jesus and encourages each other. But it, it has to be intentional. Like most other areas of health, our physical health, mental health, our spiritual health doesn't put itself together on accident. We have to be intentional. And that may mean stepping out of what's comfortable. It may mean stepping out of your regular routine in order to pursue something new. And we know that entering into a new group is intimidating and it's stressful, it might be risky. And that's why all of our life groups begin with Rooted. And you've heard about Rooted, we've been announcing it uh, for some time. It's all about giving you an opportunity to experience Jesus in new ways and alongside other people that are on that same Journey. It gives you 10 weeks to really figure out what does it mean to invest in the spiritual life of another person? What does it mean to invite other people into my spiritual life? Now, we offer Rooted two times a year in the, in the fall and the spring, and, and our fall season is just about to start. It starts this afternoon. And if you're finding yourself following Jesus alone and you haven't registered and you don't know where to start, I encourage you to either register and get get into a group, be part of this experience this fall, or just show up this afternoon and see what Rooted is all about. We're not gonna make you commit to anything if you just wanna check it out and see what this 10-week experience is all about. You can join us at 4.30 this afternoon, either here at the Happy Valley Campus or online back at this website, live.alcpnw.com. It's gonna be available in both places uh, for our kickoff message that just talks about what can you expect this season. And if you decide that that's, what, that that's what you want to be a part of this season, that you want to see what God has in store for you and in store for others, we'll get you connected with a group either online or in person, whatever you are most comfortable with. And, but it may be that you are already in a community, that, that you're in a life group, or maybe a serve team, maybe it's just a group of friends that loves Jesus, but you're not officially anything. I know those are out there but you're recognizing that, that that group, that community of people has become just a class where you learn stuff where you just like watch videos, just gain information, but you're not involved in each other's lives. Or maybe it's just a social club where you watch sports or talk about news or, or all those other things, but you're not really not investing and inviting in, your, in each other's spiritual lives. I encourage you, be a part of changing that. Start investing in the spiritual life of another person. Start inviting other people into your spiritual life. Ask, man, can you, can you help me walk with Jesus in this way? Or man, what does it look like for you to, to walk with Jesus? Can I, can I talk to you about this? Start those conversations. Because you don't need to be a leader to affect the communities that you're in. I believe that God calls us, desires for us To be a loving, transformative presence in every group that we're a part of. So if you're seeing your community is stagnant, start that change. It might just be with one person, but you can initiate it. Now, my final challenge for all of us it's the it's the command that Jesus gave us, it's it's what John reminded us of. Love one another. Love one another. It's three simple words, but it can be so challenging. We are so drawn to be combative and to focus on our differences. But, but Jesus commands us, and John reminds us, love one another. It's the distinctive of the family of God. It's what makes the church different than any other group of people. It's what people have known about for a long time, but Jesus made new that we love one another in this sacrificial love and we do it through our differences. I wanna close with the words of the theologian, John Wesley. He, He stated this so simply and so beautifully. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for making old things new. Lord, that while people have always desired to be known, to be loved, and while we knew that that was good before, Lord, you have elevated it, made it something new, and showed us how to truly love one another, to go beyond ourselves, to think outside of our own journey and our own needs, and Lord, invest in one another. Lord, to live in community. Lord, I thank you that you did not save us into isolation. You saved us into a community. We do not have to walk the spiritual journey alone. In fact, if we do, we're missing something. Because I know that when you speak to us, so often it comes from the mouths of other people. So Lord, I pray for everyone that is listening here. Lord, that they would find true, authentic, loving, community, even if they have to start it, even if they have to initiate it. Lord, that they would experience what you have in store for them through healthy relationships, through Christ-centered relationships. Lord, may we all take another step in loving other people because it's where we all fall short from time to time. Lord, would we truly focus in this season on loving one another as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank pastor david for such a, a great message for us today uh, if you have a friend that you think would benefit from this message uh, we just want to let you know that our messages are posted online you can find them at our website and it's a great opportunity to share with those around you um, we look forward to seeing you next week i hope that you have a fantastic uh, week ahead next week invite a friend invite someone to join you maybe you start a watch party at your house and as always If you have a prayer request, if you have a prayer need in your life, as a church, we want to support you in that. We want to be praying for you this week. We'd love to know what's going on in your life. There's a link at the top of, of the page. If you just click on that, and our team would love to be praying for you this week. Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next time.